0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 239 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Unmovable, an interview with Kirsten O'Neill. My name is Candace Mathis.
1: And I'm Matt Zabatello.
0: And you may know me from At Two Alpha Gals. I'm excited to let you all know that we are starting our own podcast, and this is the first of many crossovers with the Tick Bootcamp. I'm honored to have had the opportunity to speak with Kirsten O'Neill and hear her story of resilience and how she continued to persevere even when she was so sick with Lyme disease. She was humble but fierce, and we know that her experience will continue to inspire you to also persevere and be unmovable. So without further ado, I'm excited to introduce to you Kirsten O'Neill. Hi, Kirsten. Hello. Hello. Um, We're so happy to have you here with us and to hear more about your journey and particularly how Lyme has impacted you. So we're kind of going to start with getting a little bit of your background and your story to how your journey started. So if you can just tell us where you live, what you do, and where did you grow up?
2: So I was born and raised and still live in Florida, Northwest Florida in pretty close to Destin. And um, so that's where I grew up. And we, my family and I run an RV resort. So I work full-time in the office as a general manager working there. Awesome,
0: that is so cool. We might have to come see you sometime. (laughs) Yes, for sure. (laughs) Um, Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about where your journey started with Lyme in particular, like when you were bitten, what age that happened for you and kind of walk us through, um, where that all started.
2: Okay. So I did not know that I had Lyme disease until just last year. Wow. Um, I was diagnosed in early 2020 and, um, I had no idea until then, but I think we're pretty sure. So I was bitten by a spider around the age of 11 to 12. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was somewhere around there. Um, And I was bitten by a spider. Um, It swelled up really bad on my leg, made a really bad rash that lasted for a couple of weeks. And my symptoms kind of started there. I was kind of sick for a little while after that. I think at one point a about six months to a year after that, I was um, so sick that the doctors thought I had mono, even though I tested negative for it, they still thought I had mono. Um, So that was one thing. And then for ever since then, I still get them today. Um, I had really bad nosebleeds. So lots and lots and lots of symptoms, nosebleeds, joint pain, all kinds of stuff throughout high school and all those years um, since I was 11 or 12 until 2019, everything started getting worse, just like significantly worse, just whatever symptoms I had, they were just strong. Like the pain was stronger. The headaches were worse. The nosebleeds lasted longer. Um, I ended up getting heart pain or chest pains and stuff like that. And um, so that's in 2019 was kind of when I started, okay, something's really wrong. This isn't normal. And I um, also have scoliosis. So I was seeing a physical therapist And she was like, hey, I have a Lyme doctor that you might should talk to. And I was kind of like, I don't know, because I'd heard about Lyme disease a little bit, but wasn't really sure if that's what I had. And I'm going to a biodentist. My family sees a biodentist in Dothan, Alabama. And the hygienist was doing a cleaning one day and my jaw hurt really bad because the joint pain was also in my jaws. And she said, um do you have this, do you have joint pain a lot? And I said, yeah, I do. And at that dentist, for whatever reason, they take um, like plaque samples. They said that they can tell like your health and bacteria of what's in your body through the plaque samples. And um, she said, well, you've got like a lot of these bugs and stuff like that. This kinda, she goes, I'm not like a doctor or anything like that, can't diagnose anything. This kinda sounds like Lyme disease. And so multiple people, and I started doing research on Lyme disease And everybody kept saying, you know, that's kind of what it sounds like. So finally, I asked my physical therapist, I said, hey, can I have her contact? And I reached out to her. And after the first, um, not the first appointment with her, but the second appointment, she was like, yeah, you definitely have Lyme disease. And then I also have some other like heavy metal toxins and stuff like that along with it.
0: Okay. So, so I'm going to go back to when you got bit by that spider. I'm curious. Did you, yeah. were you treated with any antibiotics or anything from no. the spider bite?
2: No. no. So what we did was, um, we saw that it had two little black dots We're like, Oh, okay, that's a spider. And so I put triple antibiotic ointment on it and like would keep band-aids on it and put peroxide and stuff, but that's about it. We okay. just took care of it at home. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. No, that's, that's great. Cause I think that kind of goes in, in line with a lot of people's journey with Lyme disease is that they may not have known exactly the cause, be it, you know, if they didn't find the tick or what have you. And so they weren't treated initially. So I was curious if you, if you had been given that. So, so now you've, you're older and what, how did this impact maybe your dreams and your goals moving forward as you became a young adult and out of like your childhood? Did it have an impact with your symptoms and all of that to what, you know, how you were pursuing those things now?
2: Um, I don't think I'm super limited. I always felt like for, well, before I was diagnosed, I thought it was just normal. I was like, okay, I've just got to push through and this is normal. And this is how everybody feels. And I just have to deal with this. I'm still going to go to work. I'm still going to go to the gym. I'm still going to do everything because this is normal. This is what people are supposed to feel like. And then when I found out it was Lyme disease, I was like, oh, this isn't normal. Not everybody has this. Okay. But, um, I remember like throughout, mainly throughout like high school, like 15 to 18, um, my, like, cognitive skills and stuff like that. Like we're just lacking. Like if I was trying to hold, I could not hold a conversation. I still have a hard time even now finding the right words, but like, I can't, that's mainly what gets me is like trying to say things, but, um, also physically, um, I was in the gym a lot. I was homeschooled, but I went to the gym a lot, had a trainer and worked out with, um, my sister and, I was, we were like doing heavy lifting and stuff. And I was, I got to a point where I just couldn't anymore. Like the joint pain was just so bad that I could not push forward and go as far in lifting as I wanted to go. Yeah. Um, so were
0: you funny. able, were you able to do anything at home to help relieve the joint pain during those years? Did anything help you at all? Um, my mom would buy me
2: creams and stuff that would help temporarily. Like when I would put it on, it would help or ibuprofen occasionally. I don't like taking medicine. I'm not against it. I just am too lazy to take it. So I'd rather just deal with the pain, but, um, sometimes ice would help okay. just anything that helps inflammation would help right.
0: it. Right. And had you, did you mention before that you had seen a physical therapist
2: Yes. or was that, so, was
0: that more recent?
2: that's more recent. I started that right around the same time that I, um, got diagnosed. I started seeing her right before I got done, di- before I went to the Lyme doctor. Um, okay. and I started going to her because of the scoliosis.
0: Okay. Gotcha. I see. So, okay. So then I would say, so you had to kind of stop going to the gym or back off of it. Now I've seen on your on your Instagram, I told, (laughs) I told Matt, I said, she's like Katniss from the hunger (laughs) game, like in a good way though. Right. Like you are, you're amazing. Like you're out there fishing and hunting and doing all of these very, you know, I mean, to me, that would be very strenuous, like on a good, on a good level where you're like excited to be out there, but it is, it's very physically demanding, right. To do those (laughs) kind of things. I mean, you're like fishing like huge saltwater fish, (laughs) not just like little tiny bass in a river. So did it impact that for you at, you know, along these years, were you still able to maintain, you know, the fun activities, the things that have brought you joy in your life? Have you still been able to do that to the same degree?
2: Yeah, I still do. Um, as often as I can, um, with the hunting, like certain things, like we hunt alligators and like hogs and stuff at night. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, yeah. I can remember a, many, many, many hunting trips, many of them where it would be like close to midnight, we'd be out there hunting and I would just be like fighting back the tears of how bad my head hurt just because one of the worst things for me was migraines air. Okay. Er- I call it a migraine. I don't know if that's really what it is. It's just a headache to where I, nothing works. I literally just have to go to sleep to get rid of it. And I can remember a lot of hunts where I was just so close, but so stubborn. I was like, not going to go home, not going to call it quits, not going to ruin anybody else's hunt. I'm going to be here, but I was fighting back the tears to be there
0: Yeah. of how yeah. much pain I was in. Wow. Gosh, I'm sure. I mean, I've dealt with, with headaches and migraines, it's not mm-hmm. fun. And mm-hmm. especially dealing with that at such a young age, I mean, really, I think you're a big inspiration to a lot of people to just kind of push forward, but also you're still trying to get to the root of, of what, mm-hmm. what you're dealing with. You know, you're, how old are you now? 24? 24 years. Wow. Okay. So, um, So I guess I think you kind of answered the question that, you know, my final question, I think before I turn it over to Matt would be, you know, how drastically has your life changed from what it was before, which I know we've kind of touched on that already. But, um, you know, if, do you think that it progressively like interfered with your goals and dreams or did it just become something that was, like you were saying what you thought was your normal.
2: Yeah, it was. Um, I wouldn't say that it drastically changed anything. Um, I just learned how to deal with it. But um, like what you were saying a minute ago about just pushing through, that's what I would do, just push through to accomplish whatever I needed to accomplish. But now I'm kind of learning over the past year, learning to stop like sometimes there's a point where you don't need to push through. You don't need to prove anything to anyone and you need to just listen to your body and don't go too far. And right. that's kind of, that's the biggest change that I have learned since being diagnosed is just listen to your body and stop when you need to stop and rest when you need to rest.
1: Kirsten, Can I challenge you on that? Because you you made a comment that nothing really changed because you pushed through it, but I think something did change because you were in more and more pain progressively over the years and your quality of life was not what it was previously. So I think something did change and you were just trying to explain it away and ignore it because you didn't really understand what was going on in your body, like so many of us. And you know, What do you think about that?
2: I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, you're definitely right. I guess um, something did change and I just don't acknowledge it. <laughs> um. and,
1: and you're not alone and I don't wanna make you feel bad because I went through that same journey where I just would push everything down and I would pretend it was okay. And I would have fainting spells because I would try to push through and it yes. got that bad. And I, I mean, I know what those head pains are like and so does Candice, right? They, they are debilitating. So I, I do think it was the complete opposite. I think they were very much interfering with your life where you were still doing things but you couldn't really have much enjoyment and so much so where it was impacting you cognitively where you couldn't even process things cognitively that a quote unquote normal person could, right?
2: That's correct, yes, absolutely.
1: So I do, I also do want to challenge both you and Candace on something too, because we did this with Candace on her podcast. And, you know, generally when we hear about spider bites and and, you know tick borne illnesses, I always wonder were there other bites as well? Because I think in many cases, we're bit by many ticks or many different things to get the illnesses that we have, especially with Lyme disease. I think Alpha Gal is the exception. And I know Candace is probably ready to yell at me because Alpha Gal, you can get one tick bite and become very sick with Alpha Gal. But I think with Lyme, And especially with me over time, I think I was bit so many times because I didn't understand how dangerous they were. And that's why I got as sick as I did. So do you think it's possible that you were bit by other ticks and other things throughout your lifetime and as a child, and that contributed to maybe multiple reinfections that led to your continuing decline of health?
2: Um, Potentially. I can remember growing up as a kid, I was always either at work in the office with my parents or at my grandparents' house. half, basically 50% of the time I was at my grandparents, 50% I was with my parents. Um, With my parents, we would travel a lot. And so like on traveling, we would go on hikes or camping or something like that. But with my grandparents, I'd be outside working all day. So I always knew about ticks. I knew that they were bad. I knew don't let a tick get on you. My dad was very, very careful. Anytime we would go somewhere, he was like, spray your clothes down with permethrin and do not, and make sure to check yourself for ticks and everything. My mom always said, every time I would come inside, check yourself for ticks. And my grandmother and my grandpa both, um, when I was little, they would, as soon as coming inside, we would jump in the shower and make sure we had no ticks. And so I don't ever remember being bit by a tick. I don't I don't think that I ever had to pull one out of my skin. I can remember a lot of times where I had them crawling on my clothes when I would come inside, but I don't ever remember one actually biting me. The only time I remember that was actually just a couple of months ago. I did get bit by one. Um so but we're gonna, Yeah. So I yeah, go ahead. So
1: I definitely want to get to that that new tick bite that you had. But I wonder, I mean, you, you're a hunter, right? You you're you're out in nature all the time. And I think you hunt deer, right, Kirsten? Yes. And deer are known to have ticks all over them, right? I mean, like, like literally riddled <laughs> with with thousands and millions of millions of, of ticks. So I just, mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, how many times many of us have come into contact with ticks and don't even know it because they have all these properties. They have antihistamines, right? They, they're, they're stealth. Mm-hmm. They've really adapted to go unnoticed by biting us. So I just I like to always explore that. But walk us through, because most of our guests don't even go as far as doing tick, tick checks. So, what was your tick checks like? You know, because there's ticks can really get into different parts of your body. So, what was a tick check like for you? And did your parents teach you that, or is it something you taught yourself? How did that work for you?
2: Um, we were just told check everywhere. And as when I was littler, mom or me, mom would check me. Um, but as I got older, I would check myself. But you know, just check everywhere. Check all through your hair. Check all the cracks. Check everywhere, <laughs> and just make sure that you don't find anything. And I would always just do it in the shower, just even if like, if there was dirt or something, just get rid of everything.
1: So when you were bit by the spider, did you, you mentioned that you had a rash and you put some ointment on and you went on, you went on with your life. Looking back, was the rash that you exhibited a classic Lyme rash? Was it a bullseye or one of the other known types of patterns that Lyme disease can cause?
2: Um, it was a bullseye like rash. I don't remember all the details and I don't, I had a picture at one point, but that was on an old phone and I don't have it anymore, but um, it, it did have a ring around it. I do remember that, but that was like within the first um, three or four days that it had that ring around it. But then after about a week, it just turned into like a nasty black and blue and green color. It was really, really gross.
1: <laughs> you know, Candace touched on this a lot too. And I know you mentioned that you really just kind of fought through it and you thought it was normal. But weren't you, were you comparing yourself to other children? Because it's you know, it's not normal to have these debilitating migraines, to have this debilitating joint pain, to be seeing a physical therapist and having to do it at such a young age. Did you ever like really think subconsciously, or maybe just think like, well, wait, I'm not really like everybody else. Maybe there's something going on. Did, did that ever occur to you, or do you think that you just totally explained it away because you didn't want to think that you could possibly be sick?
2: A little bit. Um, I was homeschooled. So I never went to public school. So I wasn't always around a lot of other kids, except in the summertime, I would go to summer camps, or I would hang out with other kids at the campground that we ran at the time. Um, so I always saw a lot of kids in the summer, spring, like during school breaks. But um, I did know that, you know, something was wrong, because like, it's like, just deep down, like I had a gut feeling that something was not okay. But I just kind of got over that and just didn't really think about it but occasionally something would come up and I would just be like I don't think this is normal like I shouldn't be feeling like this but
1: so do you do you think though that uh, you know when you were 11 or 12 and you you start first started getting sick were you communicating this to your parents because you just mentioned that you always started to think well maybe something's wrong but did you tell your parents that you thought something was wrong at a young age or you kind of keep it to yourself
2: um well I would just always tell them whatever my symptoms were Just, and they would take me to the doctor. Um, So when I felt like I had mono, it was a very, 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 very bad, like strep throat kind of, but other people around me were sick. And um, two of the people who got sick tested positive for mono. And so I went to the doctor and tested negative, but that sore throat lasted for a long time. And they definitely um, were concerned um, about that. I always had like really bad leg aches but so did my mom. So we just figured that I inherited that from her. Um, other family members have that too. So just chalked leg aches up to that. Um, and Yeah. I can't really, I don't really remember a lot of like how we handled all the symptoms and stuff like that. I try to remember, but I just, a lot of it just goes blank when I try to think back to all of that.
1: And the reason I'm pushing this part is because you were so young, right? And it's hard for children to communicate what they're feeling to their parents. And then it's hard for their parents to be able to process that and then get the proper help with the doctor. And we've interviewed, we've interviewed, you know, mom, mother, daughter, combos, mother, son combos. And we see this common pattern where it's much harder for children to get diagnosed because they get brushed off as, oh, you're just a child. Oh, it's just growing pains, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, it's just, you know what? You're getting hormonal. It's what, you know, we've heard all these different things be, be really dismissed as childhood ailments or childhood growing pains. And I think that makes it harder for kids to get diagnosed. And the longer it takes you to get diagnosed, the harder it is to treat, right? So looking back, and I know it's really hard because you were young, but is there anything you wish you or your family would have done differently to help expedite your diagnosis or expedite your healing that our listeners can learn from and benefit from your experience?
2: Um, I don't know if there was anything that we could have done differently me or my parents. I wish that I would have found a doctor who knew what they were doing and knew what to look for. Like I wish that, like because I told my parents all my symptoms. Um and when they were bad, mom, like really bad, mom would find a doctor or take me somewhere. I just wish that we could have found somebody who um who could have diagnosed it earlier.
1: So in your in your case, Kirsten, you would were- communicating with your parents to the best of your ability as a child and probably sounds like very well, your parents are trying to get an answer, but the doctors weren't able to help you give you a solution to all of your problems. So you wish that you had a better doctor that could have helped you and partner with you to get really more information and more, more tests to get you to a Lyme diagnosis sooner.
2: Yeah. But my symptoms were so random, like nothing added up and neither me or my parents obviously knew to put all of those things together. Like they would happen like anywhere from three to six months apart. I would get different symptoms. And so nobody knew to put those together that something could be wrong with me because I'm having all of these symptoms. Like if it was joint pain. Okay. Maybe I have arthritis. Okay. Go to the chiropractor see what they can do for arthritis. Okay. Or chest pains. Okay. Maybe I should go get an EKG. So I would go get an EKG and that was normal. Um, just different, like the nosebleed mom would take me to an ENT but i could go to all of those different doctors but nobody would put everything together and think that this, that one thing could be causing all of that so i think that was why it was hard for everybody to figure it out
1: so as you, you were going to each specialist and they only cared about what that specific symptom was that was related to their specialty and therefore they couldn't connect the dots for the bigger picture yes so i mean uh, you know you, you talked about chest pain which is pretty severe for a young child so when you went to the cardiologist and you had your your chest examined, what did they find? You know, it sounds like that's another symptom that it's really hard to just ignore when a young child is having chest pains.
2: Yeah, it, it probably went on for about six months. It was really random when I would get the chest pains. Usually, it was like in just laying still, laying in bed or sitting on the couch. Um, but when I would go, like it wouldn't, it wasn't bad. Like I don't like I had like flare ups with it. Like sometimes it would be really really bad sometimes it wouldn't. So by the time mom could get an appointment, it just so happened that it wasn't bad. And so the EKG come back normal.
1: Kirsten, you did mention that at one point, doctors kept telling you it was a hormonal problem. So do you think that a lot of these doctors had had gender bias as well, thinking that you're going through puberty, it's your hormones, you could just be a young girl with crazy hormones. And you know what, it's just her growing up. And it's, it's, a, it's a female thing. Do you think that was part of your picture?
2: Um, a little bit. Um, I think mainly with the acne, I always had a big concern about the acne cause I had a lot of it and I knew that should, that should not be normal, but, um, that was chalked up to be hormonal, which I mean, yeah, I guess it can be, but, um, I don't think it should be.
1: Now I, I want to talk more about your physical therapist because your physical therapist suggested to you that you have Lyme disease because it sounds like he probably treats a lot of people who have Lyme and he saw it in you and you kind of dismissed it. So why do you think that why do you think you dismissed a suggestion when you really had all of these random, disparate symptoms and didn't know what was going on and somebody proposed a potential solution that could make sense of everything? You know, what was your thought process at the time that that caused you to just dismiss that suggestion?
2: Um, So I have a good friend, now who she actually never younger for Lyme disease. And how she explained how he was, um, and I, you know, I know this is how he was because he's told me the story. He was bedridden, literally bedridden. And when I was younger, probably like around age 13, 14, there was a girl who come to church with us sometimes, and she had to go to a specialist in Tampa and get um, six months of treatment for Lyme disease. She was literally bedridden. And so these two people, the only two people that I had ever known about to have Lyme disease were just so sick that they could not push through. They could not carry on with their lives. And so I thought I, I thought Lyme disease was just like such a bad, bad, bad thing. That's not what I have. Like, I'm not that bad. I mean, yeah, I have all of these symptoms that come sporadically or come here, here and there or, Sometimes they're really bad. Sometimes they're not. I just thought, no, I don't have that because they were really sick and I'm not.
1: So what I'm, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people say this that they don't think they have Lyme because what they're experiencing isn't consistent with what they've seen in other people in their lives. And I think the true is the same is true with alpha Gal, like with Candace is seen probably in, in, in the alpha Gal community. People think they don't have alpha-gal because they're not having anaphylactic shock and they're not, you know, needing an EpiPen, but they're having maybe milder food reactions. And I think that's something that's an important tip for this podcast is just because you don't fit the exact model of what you're hearing on this podcast or the exact model of what you think to be Lyme disease doesn't mean you can't be experiencing it at some part of, of, you know, the, the severity level it can be because Lyme can be mild to some people, right? Lyme can be debilitating. As you noted, you can be bed bound from it. So I think that's an important tip for people listening who think they may have Lyme that again, there's a whole spectrum of Lyme disease. And that's important to note. So when, when you, now your physical therapist suggests that you kind of move on and now you go on to this dentist, which is really interesting because biological dentistry is a really I think fascinating topic. And I know there's a whole thing with, do you ever hear, did you ever have a a cavitation surgery? I know that's something that's really um, common as well in the Lyme community because a lot of bacteria builds up, but putting that aside, you you mentioned that your dentist actually did a plaque sample and found a whole bunch of bugs. And that's what led him to think you have Lyme disease. Right. And we've learned from a lot of doctors we've interviewed that Lyme loves the mouth. That they find spirochetes in the mouth and that that's an area where you can you can commonly find them so did your did your dentist find spirochetes in this plaque sample
2: yes and i had them for a very long time like i've probably in the whole time i've been seeing that dentist probably started two years before my diagnosis um so i've been seeing him for about three years now ever since my first appointment i had spirochetes in my plaque samples and i they always told me, you know, that's a good thing. We need to cut back on sugar and cut back on like gluten and stuff like that. And watch as you're eating, don't eat so much fruit because these are bad bugs and you have a lot of bad bugs. And sometimes I would go occasionally, I would have like maybe only one or two and they would say, oh, you're doing a lot better. And then the next time I'll come back and there'd be, my mouth would be full of them again. <laughs>
1: So it it seems I had mixed feelings about this dentist, right? Because on one hand, he found the spirochetes, which is amazing because nobody else can find them. So the yeah. spirochetes to me indicate you definitely have Lyme disease, right? Okay. But the dentist, I feel, didn't take it seriously enough to say you need more serious help than I can offer by telling you to change your diet, possibly, right? So looking back, what are your thoughts on this dentist and and the way he handled the spirochetes found in the in the plaque sample that he he tested?
2: Um, they definitely put a lot of emphasis on how bad those bugs are. They call them bad mouth bugs. They definitely said they were bad, but they never said you need to go get tested for anything. So I've never really thought about how I feel about them now, but, um, it was the hygienist that found it and she, or that put two and two together with the joint pain. She was like, yeah, you should probably get tested. You should look into this. So I am glad that she said that because I probably would have never reached out to the Lyme doctor that I'm seeing now if she hadn't said that.
1: So now now you finally get to your Lyme doctor because you have the plaque sample, which brings you back to your physical therapist to ask for the reference to the Lyme specialist. And you go to this doctor. Are you comfortable? Kirsten sharing the name of this doctor that you referred to.
2: Um, Her name is Dr. Pamela Costello.
1: And she's down in Florida, right?
2: No, she's actually out of Johnson, Tennessee.
1: Of Tennessee. So you had to travel to go see the specialist.
2: Um, so my first few appointments were over the phone. She said she would treat me as long as I would be able to see her in person during the first year. And I did. I went to see her back in October for the first time in person. So
1: walk us through like at this point, did was it just you? Because you were, I think you were about around 21. Is this, how old are you at this point?
2: Uh, so 2019. So it was, well, I got tested in 2020. So it was just last year. So I was 23.
1: 23. So now you're a young adult. I mean, are you making these decisions on your own and saying, okay, you know what, all my symptoms add up. I'm being told now I should go see a Lyme doctor again. I'm going to go do it. Or is it something that your family was really urging you to do on their end?
2: Um, I've made the decision myself. I would, I mean, of course I would keep them in the loop. I'd say, Hey, if you're okay with this, I'm going to do this. Um, I feel like this is what I need. I feel like this is what I have. I'm going to see this doctor. And of course they were fully, fully okay with it.
1: So they were supportive of your decision. Cause a lot of people okay. share with us that their family has not been very supportive because Lyme is controversial. But in your case, they were supportive of, of your thought of Lyme disease and, and encouraged you to go see this doctor in Tennessee.
2: Very, very much so. Yes.
1: So did you go by yourself? Did you go with your mom? Who would you go with for the first appointment?
2: um so the first appointment was over the phone uh actually all my appointments i've been by myself um but the first one was over the phone and then even the one in person i did go by myself
1: so walk us through what the first phone appointment is like i mean you know you're you sound like you have an idea of what Lyme disease is you realize how debilitating it can be but you're kind of now just stepping into this world so walk us through what the this virtual phone appointment was like and what the takeaway was from that appointment
2: so i had to fill out a consultation sheet she basically asked me my whole health history Um, if I was taking anything, if I was doing anything for the pain or whatever I was doing, she asked me everything. And, um, the first appointment was basically like an hour long of her going over the symptoms, just like really getting a feel for what symptoms I had. And then the second appointment was about an hour long of her just telling me what Lyme disease is just going into detail of all the bacteria and any co-infections and any like toxins or anything like that that I might have and how she really, really went into detail about what that looks like inside of your body. And I was like, really appreciative of that because at that point I knew I was like, yes, this is what I have. Um, by the third appointment, she asked for a little bit more over the time from the first appointment to the third appointment, she was kind of measuring tracking, Um, what's going on currently. So she could see every day, like what my diet looks like and what my activities look like and stuff like that. And then by the third appointment, based on all the information she had told me, and then everything I had told her, she said, yes, that's what you have. You have Lyme disease for sure. Kirsten, did you ever do any
1: sort of Lab work to validate, or was this just a clinical diagnosis? Because clearly you have Lyme disease based on your symptomology. Did your doctor decide to just avoid having to pay for all these fees for testing and just give you a clinical diagnosis?
2: Yeah. So I was cash pay. Um, I didn't have any insurance to take care of it. So she said that she was going to keep costs as low as she could for me. And so she was going to avoid the Lyme disease test. But I did do um, I did a heavy metals toxins test. Um, I did a lot of other blood work, um, just normal blood panel, um, Epstein-Barr, Candida, lots of other blood work, um, was done, but we didn't actually do the Lyme disease test.
1: Did any of that pop anything that was positive Epstein-Barr, the heavy metals, the Candida, did any of that come back that you were suffering from those things?
2: Um, yeah, so I have no Epstein-Barr. I was very, very, very high with Candida and then, um, Blood, my regular normal blood panel looked good, it was clean, but I have actually um, very, 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 very high levels of mercury and lead. So she definitely, or she did diagnose me with um, mercury and lead poisoning both.
1: So walk us through when you told, when you just told us that the, I think the second visit is when and she went into great detail about what Lyme disease is, what the co-infections are, what toxins are and how they act in your body. Give us a little more detail about that. What exactly did she explain to you about these illnesses and how they impact your body?
2: Um, So she told me that she was pretty sure um, even before I did the test for the mercury and lead and stuff like that, she told me how that um, kind of coexists with Lyme in the body. She said that um, when this is how I understood it. So I'm not a doctor. I don't know all this stuff. And I can't remember exactly word for word, what she said. So don't quote me on all this. And if I'm wrong, feel free to tell me. But, um, what I took out of it was that, um, my immune system was not able to fight off the immune or I'm sorry, the, um, Lyme disease bacteria. And so inside of my body, the Lyme bacteria was basically coated in like a biofilm or whatever, but because I am probably infected with, um, mercury, that kind of mercury and lead and whatever other metal toxins are in that biofilm that's coating the Lyme bacteria. And she said, that was how they coexist with each other in your joints and in your spinal fluid and your cerebral spinal fluid. And so, um, she said, basically I probably had, a lot of
1: that going on in my body. Kirsten, I think, you know, we very much agree with what your doctor said because it's never just a Lyme bacteria we've learned, right? It's never just a Lyme bacteria making somebody sick. And just this week, Dr. Rawls had a webinar all about detoxing, and he stressed the importance of toxins in healing. And he, t- and he talked about how toxins really stress our cells and weaken our, weaken our cells. And when our cells get weakened, it weakens our immune system and it weakens our ability to fight things that we normally could manage otherwise, right? And there are many people walking around today that have Lyme disease and are asymptomatic because their immune system is healthy enough and they don't have either environmental or internal stressors that are causing their body to get overwhelmed and become sick from the microbe or the pathogen, which is the Lyme bacteria. So I think in your case, you were extremely toxic with heavy metals like mercury and lead, and you had candida, which is really preventing your body from processing all of these things that you normally could manage. And then even worse, when your body was killing these these pathogens, you couldn't properly detox because of the candida, which we know is a major detox preventative, right? And the heavy metals make everything extremely sluggish. So you can't get all the stuff out of you naturally. And if you're not doing anything to aid that or address those heavy metals, your micro bloat is increasing. And your body's own ability to purge toxins and endotoxins is now, is now decreasing. So it's, it just builds up and up and up over time, which now is consistent with what you went through right now. You're, you're probably getting sicker up until the point of your diagnosis, right?
2: Yes. Yes. Very much so.
1: so it sounds like at this point, your Lyme doctor now is realizing the big picture, what's going on with Kirsten. So what's the first step that you do from a treatment standpoint? Do you decide to go with antibiotics? Do you decide to go herbal? Do you, do you go and start killing the pathogens first? or Are you addressing, you know, opening up pathways and detox first? What was the approach you took with this, the specialist out of Tennessee?
2: Um, so she told me from the beginning, she said, if I'm going to treat you, I'm not going to do any antibiotics or transfusions or anything like that. She said, it's strictly going to be like a change of diet, herbal, adding supplements and stuff like that. Um, so she told me from the beginning, she said, if you want medicine, don't come to me. Um, I said, okay, no, I totally agree with that. My family has mainly been all natural, not completely all natural, but as much as we possibly can my whole life. And so, um, I was totally okay with that. And I believe in all natural and herbal remedies and stuff like that. Um, but she said that she was not going to immediately put me on these herbal supplements that I think it's the Byron White formula is what I'm taking right now. She said, we were not going to start that immediately. Um, First of all, she said that I had a leaky gut and she wanted to heal that first so that my immune system could be strong enough for when I start taking the other stuff. So we started out with like a green drink protocol, baking soda protocol, and really just cleaning up my diet.
1: So I want to talk more about that though, Kirsten. So you said that you had a leaky gut and you used uh, baking of protocol and a, and a green, I think you said a green juice diet, right? So I guess the first thing I want to ask you is if you can explain to our listeners, what exactly is leaky gut?
2: So the way that I understand it, leaky gut is basically there's holes in your stomach. And when you consume something, if it has toxins in it, it's going to get into your bloodstream. And so it's going to cause inflammation or anything like that. But basically your body is not digesting the bad things, getting rid of them like it should be. That's right. So,
1: so really the, when you're eating food, the food particles or the toxins from the food get through your GI tract and into your blood, which creates yeah. an inflammatory response, which now makes your body even weaker and less able to fight off the microbes. And now you're having even more symptoms, right? And it just perpetuates that cycle of chronic illness. So your first step is to address the leaky gut and you do this this um, baking soda protocol. So what is this baking soda protocol? Because I don't think we've ever heard that on this podcast before.
2: <laughs> so basically, um, it's just to limit like any other toxins like EMVs or radiation or anything like that that you might come in contact with throughout the day. Um, so I would brush my teeth with it or take a bath with it. Um, but basically, she was saying that baking soda um, can extract to an extent can extract a lot of, um, toxins out of your body, mainly like EMVs from your cell phone and radiation and stuff like that. So I would take a hot bath with some baking soda at the end of the day. I don't know if I ever really felt a huge difference, to be honest. Um, I think there are some days like when I skip that baking soda bath, then I feel a little bit more sluggish, just a little bit, but I don't really notice a huge difference, but, um, basically, um, the baking soda can extract radiation and stuff like that out of your body.
1: So you're really focusing on helping reduce and eliminate toxins, right? That's that's your your first step. So you're addressing leaky gut. You just described the baking soda protocol. Talk to us more about the green juices. How do the green juices help you with your leaky gut?
2: Um, I don't entirely know. I know it has a lot of minerals in it. It's spinach or kale and an apple and ginger. So I know ginger is really, really good for your immune system. Um, I know that an apple is good because it has pectin in it, which is like pectin is like a jello kind of. So when it goes through your gut, when you're detoxing, um, the pectin grabs all of the toxins and helps you eliminate them. And I think there's like fiber or something like that that helps you get that stuff out of your body. So it's like a little magnet for toxins.
1: So I'm going to quote just because we just well, I have it fresh in my head the doctor rolls detox webinar that we watch again this week because it's what's, what I find really fascinating is I never really thought his food as being the ultimate detoxer but he said in his webinar that the number one thing he recommends the first step he gave for detoxing is sourcing your food wisely and he mm-hmm. talks about that vegetables the fibrous part of the vegetable is what helps your body detox it helps your liver function properly to take those toxins that are in your body and flush them out of your liver and pull them into your GI tract. So now you can then have them out in your next bowel movement, right? So I never really appreciated how powerful food or vegetables can be in helping your body flush your toxins. And again, you were extremely toxic. So this seems like a really good step because this is helping take all the toxins, the heavy metals, and pull them out of your body by using fibrous vegetables and doing that on a regular basis in high quantity. So how did you feel, right? I mean, now you're addressing your leaky gut. Did you, you mentioned with the baking soda protocol, you said, yeah, if I didn't do it, maybe I felt a little bit, you know, not so great. Were you feeling anything with the green juicing? Were you feeling, you know, your body pulling out these toxins? Were you having any GI distress, anything like that?
2: Yeah. So, um, at the same time as starting the green drink, I also completely cut sugar, gluten and dairy all at once. um, I, that, that was the most miserable weekend of my entire life. Probably. I did not. That was the one time I was literally bedridden after I started doing all of that. I started it on a Thursday Friday. I was pretty weak. I went to work like the half part, first half of the day. And I was like, okay, I feel really terrible. I don't know what's going on. And then by the end of Friday, I think I had a fever. I was feeling really, really sick. I had a huge, huge bad headache. And then Saturday and Sunday, I basically just did not get out of bed. I felt so, so weak, but by Monday, I, I mean, I kept eating the things she told me to eat and drinking the green drink. And so finally by Monday, I guess all of that had cleared out and I was finally okay. And so I felt a lot better on Monday. And then throughout the rest of that week, I felt normal, but like what I was used to.
1: So it was a really short period, you know, several day period of you really not being able to get out of bed. And I wonder, I'm curious why that happened, right? And my thought process is that the all these things you were doing that were addressing the toxins were mobilizing the toxins in your bloodstream. And when you mobilize these toxins, you're going to get sicker, right? Because now they're active in your bloodstream versus being embedded in your tissues where they probably were. So do you think looking back that that was the reason why you got so sick? Because you were doing so much to mobilize the toxins, to flush them out of your body, that it was just overload in your system?
2: I think so, yeah. Um, I've read a little bit about what they call Herxheimer's. Um, So I think I potentially could have been having a little bit of that um, with, I think the reason I think I had that was the bad headache that I had the whole time. I had a really, really bad headache that I could not get rid of. Um, But yeah, I definitely think that it was activating the toxins and bacteria and stuff probably.
1: So it's interesting you bring up the term, the Herxheimer reaction, because most people think of a Herxheimer reaction as an increase in symptoms as you're killing off the Lyme bacteria. So when you kill the bacteria, the dead bacteria creates what's called an endotoxin. And that endotoxin now is what makes you sick until you can purge that endotoxin. But we've also learned that Herxing, in addition to that, can be as you're starting to make your body less sluggish. And as you're making your cells become less sluggish by detoxing, like you were, your immune system is getting primed and it's now doing what it was designed to do and kill the pathogens as well. So it's a double effect, meaning you're not only are you mobile, are, are you responding to the die off and the toxins and having to flush all these toxins out, right? That you had in your body, but now your immune system is getting primed and it's going and doing the work that it should have been doing, you know, since you were 14 years old. So what do you think about that? Do you think it was really twofold?
2: Yeah, definitely. I do think so. Yeah.
1: So do you, at this point though, you really weren't addressing the Pathogens yet, right? Because you weren't on the Byron White protocol, which is the one that actually addresses the kill part of what we like to, you know, we call it the kill protocol, which kills the pathogens. You were really just getting your, your gut, you know, squared away. You were addressing your leaky gut and helping purge these toxins that your doctor identified. And I think that's important too, because if you started killing the Lyme and other pathogens before you, you know, set yourself up to detox, you would have been very, very sick likely if you went right into the kill protocol because you're so toxic. So what came next now, after you start, you did the baking soda protocol, you did the green juices, you had that really bad weekend and you kind of bounced back to your normal self pre, pre leaky gut treatment. What came next in the treatment protocol for you?
2: Um, can you say that again? The last question.
1: Sure. So what happened? At, what, what did you do with your doctor in Tennessee after you addressed your leaky gut? What were the next steps in your treatment?
2: Yeah. So um, she said, so my appointment, my first couple appointments were February, March, and then by The third appointment, when she diagnosed me, she gave me the protocols for the green drink, baking soda, the diet, everything like that. She said she wanted me to stick to that for six weeks and then we reassess. So after six weeks we reassessed and then she said, okay, you're doing really good. Um, She liked the way that my symptoms were going away and stuff and how everything was looking. And she said that from six, I think it was six weeks from there, it ended up whatever, whenever it was, however long it was from that point until June. It was in June when I started the Byron Whites. Um, she said that we could start there as long as everything looked good when we got to June.
1: So now you start. So you started the Byron White in June, right? I want to make sure I'm getting my timeline correct. So you started the Byron White in June, and that we know can definitely cause even more extreme heart timer reaction. So walk us through how you felt when you started the protocol. Did you start on the full protocol? Did you start slow and work up? What was that, that phase approach like for you?
2: Um, so my, my prescription, I guess you could say (laughs) from her is a lot lower. My doses are a lot lower than she would prescribe to other people. Um, she did tell me that. And so I started with a very low dose. I'm still on a very low dose, um, Still in the same, basically the same dose as I was back in June. Uh, I did, I felt really, really, really weak when I started that. Um, there were days that I had maybe, maybe 50% energy. Um, I still would push through and go to work because it was the middle of the summertime at that point. We were extremely busy at the resort. Um, I was needed in the office, I was needed in laundry. So I was still working my full shift and everything but by the end of the day I would just come home and go to bed I didn't even have time to eat and then that would that led to me not eating for a couple of weeks because I just wanted to sleep if I wasn't working and then not eating led to even less energy and so I kind of got stuck in this really vicious cycle where um, I wasn't eating had no energy and so I needed to um, to change that sorry somebody just knocked on the door um, but yeah but by, by mid-july, I was able to, I was just like, Hey, this needs to change. I had an appointment with her and she said, no, you need to be eating. You need to eat three eggs for breakfast. You need to eat a lot of veggies throughout the day. And you need to be eating six, six ounces of meat at night for dinner before you go to bed. And so I changed that. And within about a week, I got all of my energy back and I was feeling much better, but for about a month, I had no energy after starting that.
1: So throughout all of this, you were still working. And the worst you felt was when you started the buy and protocol, because you, it sounded like you weren't eating plus, plus all of the work it was doing in your body. It just, your body couldn't handle it. It was just too much.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: So give us an idea if you can, just generally speaking, the buy and protocol, what exactly does it do? Right. Do you have a general understanding of how it works to treat the Lyme disease?
2: Um, Not really. I know that it's a lot of herbs. I know there's a lot of stuff in it that I can't read, but I know that it's good for me. And I know that I feel good when I take it, but, um, I have one that's for Lyme. Um, I have the AL, the AB, the AC. I think that's for Candida. I have one for, um, environmental toxins. I've got one for inflammation. That's the best one. Like if I feel a headache starting to come on, I just take that and I'm totally, totally fine. If I start to have any joint pain whatsoever, I just take a little bit extra of that and I'm good. Um, I know that you can use it topically or orally because when I recently had that tick bite, um, I asked her what I should do, immediately emailed her and she said, immediately put baking soda paste on it. And then as soon as you can put the Byron white formula that's for lime on it and that extracts the bacteria that potentially could be there from that bite. So I know it works both ways. Um, but I don't know how it works.
1: So I think you just gave us a really cool tip for people to try that are listening. Cause what, I think one of the most common symptoms that we hear about with Lyme disease is joint pain, inflammation and pain. Right. And you just said that this one specific bottle, or I guess, you know, product that Byron White offers really helps you when you're having a headache come on, which is probably driven from inflammation or joint pain or having just a bad day. So can you repeat the name of that product again? I just want to make sure we, we highlight that.
2: Yeah. It's a, it's a Byron white product and it's anti-inflam is what it's called anti-inflammatory. Um, but it's just a little bottle and my prescription for it is two drops per day. But if I feel like a headache or if I feel flare up of some sort, I'll take two drops in the morning, two drops at night. And I just feel so much better.
1: And when you say prescription, Kirsten, are you, you can you buy these things online or something you buy no. to your doctor? Cause these aren't like regulated through a pharmacy, right?
2: Um, I don't think so. I don't think you can get them from a pharmacy. I know that I can only get them from her. So she goes directly to Byron White and he can give them to her. She can give them to me basically.
1: So, so if you can buy them through a natural practitioner who yes. is a reseller of the Byron White product, right?
2: Yes, that's correct.
1: And I believe, uh, you know, I have to fact check myself, but I believe you can buy them online as well, which, you know, again, Proceed with caution because you really should have some sort of, you know, guidance. I think, but I think you can buy them online as well okay. independently if you wanted to.
2: <laughs> I've not looked, but okay, yeah, that would make so,
1: sense. So, what else were you? So, I guess I, the question I have is: you're doing all this, right? And now you're you're several months in. How are you feeling overall? Because you had your ups and downs. Then you had that really bad for a couple of weeks because you weren't eating. Now you're eating again and you're back to your baseline. But are you starting to feel? better and start to realize like wow this is what I should feel like and I've been feeling like crap my entire life like you ever have did you have that epiphany at some point
2: yes yes actually throughout the month of probably the end of July until really until December I just felt good I was like oh this is what normal is supposed to be like I can go to the gym I can do things I can go run I can do things after I get off work. I can come home and not have to go to bed. I can eat and enjoy family and have company and I can live a normal life and without pain. And that was the biggest thing. That was really, really huge. Now, currently, I don't feel good. Um, in December, I had a really, really bad case of salmonella and I lost 15 pounds with that. And I'm still not able to gain it back. Um, I'm very, very weak every day. So, at the end of the day, I just don't feel great. I'm very weak. I can't pick things up just because I've lost so much weight that I didn't really, I couldn't afford to lose that in the first place, but, um, I'm feeling really bad with that. I'm trying to eat every day. I have my appetite and I can eat and I do eat. I probably eat close to three, 3000 to 3,500 calories per day. I eat a lot, but I still, for some reason, cannot gain that weight back.
1: I think it's a perfect example of how healing is not linear, right? We see it all the time, but it's hard to appreciate because when you start to, you start to really make some great progress and then you yeah. hit a bump in the road and yeah. you're like, oh, what is going on, right? And that's kind of where you are now. But I always like to pose the question and it's a hypothetical that you really can't answer rather than reflect on it, maybe give us some feedback on. If you weren't doing what you were doing, if you didn't get your Lyme diagnosis, And you weren't treating with these herbals and all of this this natural medicine, which really they're natural antibiotics. You know, people like get weirded out by that, but they are they're antimicrobials and they're addressing all these pathogens and helping your body rid these toxins. So your body today, Kirsten, is much healthier than it was six months ago. So how do you think you'd be responding now and in December when you got salmonella if you didn't treat and you didn't know you had Lyme disease?
2: Yeah, I probably would feel just the same as I was. I'd probably feel pretty bad. I'd have Mostly bad days, maybe some good days. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll be worse. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you on that one too. I, I think you would be worse because your body was so toxic, right? You had all those heavy metals in your body. You had all these toxins. The Lyme bacteria was now flourishing. You have all these opportunistic viruses, bacteria, pathogens flourishing in your body, and then you get Salmonella, right? So, I mean, I think that could have been a critical turning point in your health to possibly make you bed bound if you weren't doing what you're doing today. So it's hard to really process. And I know you're going through a hard time right now, but I really think that you'd be much worse off if you weren't in such good hands with your current practitioner.
2: Absolutely. Considering the fact that I just got salmonella, if that was, if I would have had that when I was as sick as I was, absolutely, I would be really bad. (laughs)
1: So is there anything else that you do to help yourself with the symptoms, right? Because this is like a roller coaster, as we described. Have you ever tried anything like CBD for pain or any other things that you do that are just sort of little tips or tricks or hacks that you can recommend to people listening that are in the throes of it like like you are?
2: Yeah, I take some CBD every once in a while. Um, I have a pretty high dose of that from um, my doctor's partner is also a biodentist and he has a line of product. Um, He's got CBD and he also has a pain cream that I use that's like an all natural cream. Um, occasionally I will use that, um, with my physical therapist, she has, um, been doing a lot of her, the main thing that she works is myofascial release. And so I've been learning a lot of what she calls melting techniques. And so that's just to help the fascia um, release and I guess, relax, and your body can kind of go back to where it's meant to be. And so I do, I do a lot of those techniques that she teaches me. And that helps a lot with the headaches um, from tension and stuff like that.
1: Um, I think a lot of that is blood flow, right, Kirsten, because you're, if you are if you have all these tight muscles, your blood's not flowing. And we know you need blood flow to purge these toxins to help your body operate normally, right? So I think, you know, you're kind of finding these things that are helping fine tune your body and reset it as you're going through your, your healing journey, right?
2: Yeah. So for the blood to be able to filter, yeah, it definitely helps with blood flow, helps all the restrictions. Um, Also, I think that my nerves have been significantly restricted. And so she's helping me open open up those pathways for those nerves. And I've felt a lot of relief from that as well.
1: Can you give us some ideas of what specific exercise or techniques you're doing with your physical therapist to help with the muscles and the nerves to give you relief and also allow your body to be in a better position to continue to heal with your, your treatment?
2: Um, yeah, so basically she just has you, um, one of the biggest things is just something you can do at home. It's, um, I can't remember the exact, she calls it melting, basically. So you just kind of find a place, like if it's in your neck, like tilt your head to the right or left a little bit until you feel a slight pull. And then don't make it like super like intense, just like leave it at like a one or two while you feel that pull and then just like imagine it and then think about it until it goes away. Just really focus on it until it goes away. And then once it goes away, go just a little bit farther and then just keep going. And eventually you can turn your neck all the way and you don't feel any pulls or anything like that. And so that's like a melt technique that she taught me that helps a lot. Um, Another one is I have a lot of nerve restriction in my arm. And so if I just hold my arm out like this, I can feel a lot of tingling in my hand and my hand basically goes numb. And so I hold my arm out until basically that just goes away. She said, basically just focus on it. Like when you stretch or feel a tingle or something like that, focus on it and think about it and leave it there until eventually it goes away. And you can either be done or stretch a little bit farther and keep going. And eventually, you clear up all of those restrictions and it just feels so much better. And like, I can turn my head all the way, which I did not used to be able to do that. So it's really, really nice.
1: I think that's a really awesome tip because I thought, I, again, we talked offline a little bit where I felt like I was a weird alien when I first got diagnosed and I had severe neck pain and was very limited with the, the motion and range of my neck. And I think it's a really great tool for people that have neck pain from Lyme disease, which again, is super common. We've heard it so much on this podcast and it's a really gentle technique that you can do sitting down. You can do it lying in bed. You can do it with your arms, your neck, any part that's bothering you. And it's really going to ultimately help loosen up your body and help blood flow and help and help alleviate the pain and put your body in a better position to heal. So I think that was a, a really great example. Thank you for giving us that, that, that great detail there. So I do, want to ask you, I know I have, have been dominating this conversation, but before I give you back to Candace, I have a, a fun question for you because it makes me think often about this, what I would say to somebody, if you were out and you were running your, you know, helping your family run your resort and somebody came in and told you they just got diagnosed with late stage Lyme disease and they're really sick and they're about to go into treatment, what advice would you give them based on your experience now, since you've been diagnosed throughout your whole diagnostic and treatment journey?
2: Um, so I would first tell them to make sure that they know everything about what the doctor is about to treat them with, make sure they know for sure that that's what they have, um, any co-infections that they might have with it, test for any of that, or look at your symptoms and see what you might have. But, um, I think that I would definitely suggest for them to really thoroughly check out the, um, treatment that they're about to receive and make sure that that's what they need. Because I think maybe some people might need different treatments, um, but just make sure. And then also for them to clean up their diet, because that was the biggest thing that helped me was to get rid of inflammation before I started treatment.
0: I think I'm going to piggyback on Matt a little bit. So he asked you what advice you would give to someone else. And now I'm going to take it inward. So we know like our. Our journey with struggle and with tick-borne diseases, it's very challenging. And like Matt was saying, it's not linear. So through your journey, through the suffering, what have you found to be kind of a beautiful part of it? Like, have you found any new gifts that have arisen from your journey with all of this? Or um, if you can kind of share with us maybe some some newfound joys that you have through all of the suffering?
2: Yeah, I would say definitely one of the greatest gifts that I have received um, is that I've met some really, really, really cool people along the way, people who I probably would have met and but may not have had as much of a friendship with them it's kind of sad that Lyme disease is the reason we're (laughs) friends but um it's kind of really nice to have them as a friend um two girls in particular I don't think that I could have made it through mentally without them they've been a huge help in mentoring me one of them she had Lyme disease the other one she treated her husband for Lyme disease when they were younger and um both of them have so much knowledge to help me through and tell me it was going to be okay. In the end, after treatment, I was going to feel fine. I just needed to push through. And so the biggest gift was definitely um, their friendship. And just, I think um, another thing is prayer. Like I probably could not have made it through without my faith in the Lord and being able to um, have the avenue of prayer to, for him to give me the strength to make it through, because I know that I would not have been able to, without him giving me that strength. So those two things definitely were the biggest help.
0: That's beautiful. And I think Matt would agree with me that through our, both of our journeys, it's finding the support in your system and all of that is, is such a like integral part of our healing, right? Like we've got to have that support. And I think it is, it's wonderful when we can find that community. So I love that, that you were able to find that for yourself as well. I think that's great. Okay, Kirsten, I'm going to, I'm going to shake it up a bit and I'd like to know what one song brings you joy. So I would say
2: um, there's a, one of my favorite songs. It's a hymn that we sing in church. It's it is well with my soul. And that song is like, like super special to me because that's the song that we were singing at a Bible camp when I decided to be baptized. And so um, I think that song just whenever we sing it, I can't help but tear up. I just really love that song, but it makes me happy, like a joyful tear. It's just like a really, really good
0: song. That one will never get old. Thank you for listening to the Tick Camp interview with our guest, Kirsten O'Neill. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Kirsten, please visit her Instagram page at kirsten.marie. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Camp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note, we appreciate any input or improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, We thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, on social media, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews you share with us. Thank you for listening.